We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined by Jarrett Stepman, a columnist for The Daily Signal, also the author of a fantastic book that's very relevant to the conversation we're having today. It's called The War on History. Jarrett, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. Um, And I'll start off just by wishing all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving. We are pre-taping this, but it will be running on Thanksgiving for all the folks who like to listen to podcasts while they do their various Thanksgiving chores, of which there can be many sometimes. Um, But Jarrett, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you're spending the holiday this year? Oh, absolutely. Thanksgiving is a very important holiday for my family, especially my wife's family, uh, Inez Stepman, who's uh, a frequent contributor at the Federal list and uh, on your podcasts. Uh, I actually spend it with my in-laws uh, and her family and they're from Poland. Uh, so the Thanksgiving holiday for them is actually in some ways incredibly important. I mean, it's it's to them, it's it's this quintessential American holiday. And uh, and as and I always go travel to their place, we have the very traditional turkey and stuffing and all that good stuff that I think most families do. But uh, the holiday itself is incredibly important for them, certainly uh, for my in-laws, giving thanks for the fact that they are here in America, in the United States. They immigrated to this country and they're very thankful to be here. And uh, we always have a tradition that we we give thanks for the things that we have. We say the things that we are thankful for in, in the year that's come ahead. And I think that's it's always been a very important tradition uh, in her family. And I, I, I think it's a great for Americans to always reflect in good times and bad the things that they are thankful for uh, in the last year. So it's it's a very important holiday in her family. Certainly in my family, there's always a there's always a big uh, celebration of this time. And it's uh, really it's I think it's one of the most important American holidays, if not in some ways the most important. Mm. And Jared wrote a piece actually for the Daily Signal that caught my attention. It was called uh, America's Future Depends on Thanksgiving. And again, you can read that at the Daily, the Daily Signal website. Jared, can you tell us a little bit about the argument you laid out in this piece? Yeah, I think it's very clear that the holiday of Thanksgiving is under siege, much like, and I compared it very much to the Columbus Day holiday, which now has almost collapsed nationally. I mean, you, you go from city to city uh, and they've oftentimes gotten rid of Columbus Day. They've changed it to Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, Columbus is now a scorned character, especially when you talk to younger people. I think Thanksgiving is absolutely next on this list of holidays that is coming under siege. And I think this is in some ways a much more important battle that I think is coming. You can even you can even hear this. Uh, there, there's a recent MSNBC segment uh, in which the host basically called uh, Thanksgiving a celebration of white supremacy. And I think the idea that Thanksgiving is immune to these kind of woke calls for the destruction of, of holidays and statues, I think you haven't been paying attention. I think there is absolutely, especially when you consider what Thanksgiving itself stands for. Uh, I, I think Thanksgiving in very many cases, in very many ways, stands against, I think, especially what the far left really wants. I mean, even the act of giving thanks is in many ways against what they stand for. I mean, this is an ideology that's based very much on grievance and seeing uh, the world is broken down between oppressors and oppressed. The idea that you are giving thanks 
uh, in, in good times and in bad times for the things that you have, I think is already under suspicion. And the fact that the holiday was initially created both as a religious celebration and also a way to, as a cultural holiday, to celebrate uh, patriotism and love of country and to celebrate uh, the family, to celebrate those values uh, which are so critical to the United States, to our existence, to our success. Uh, I think a, a large part of what this holiday stands for uh, is is in many ways repugnant uh, to many, especially on the very far left, who see it as an, just another symbol uh, of American oppression that we should not give thanks for. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And uh, I want to get into that, actually. Jared, can you tell us about Sarah Hale? Sarah Hale is frankly, an American hero uh, for, for what she did. She is really, I would call her the godmother of Thanksgiving. I think of most Americans, when they think of Thanksgiving, they, of course, they think of the, the 1621 uh, celebration by the pilgrims and the Wampanoag uh, Indians uh, at that, that, of course, that so-called first Thanksgiving. Uh, but Sarah Josepha Hale actually brought modern Thanksgiving uh, into the consciousness of the United States. She spent... Uh, really decades uh, in the mid-19th century, uh, petitioning various presidents. She was actually, she was the kind of editor-in-chief of this very popular magazine at the time. It was kind of a cultural, mostly geared towards women. Uh, Sarah Josepha Hale wrote letters to various presidents, including Zachary Taylor, later Abraham Lincoln, pleading to make a national day of Thanksgiving for the whole country that she saw as to a certain extent, playing a, a little different role than 4th July. Of course, 4th July is this kind of national celebration of independence and patriotism, but she wanted a day that really celebrated American cultural traits. She wanted to celebrate the family alongside patriotism. Uh, and this, of course, she became successful in 1863 when uh, Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the Civil War, uh, decided to create a national day of Thanksgiving uh, based on the advocacy of Sarah Hale, um, which is an interesting time, of course, to be giving thanks in 1863 when you understand what the country was going through, that trial by fire of the Civil War, that the country would have a chance to, to stop for just a moment and give thanks for the things that they had uh, in the year that they had prior. It's, it's just incredible. And, and of course, this became the national holiday that we now celebrate. It's It really stems from that. And of course, Sarah Hale, being from the New England area, from, she was originally from New Hampshire, there was definitely a very strong New England aspect to, to the original holiday and the way that she saw it. She kind of based a little bit off of Forefathers Day, which was a traditional celebration uh, in Massachusetts of the, the Pilgrim Forefathers. And that's that's one of the re many reasons why the Pilgrims are so strongly associated with this holiday. They became not just a, a regional celebration, but a, a national one. They really symbolized, uh, you know, what had come before us, what had come before us in America. And I think Sarah Hale deserves enormous credit for bringing I think most Americans probably don't know her name or know what she did. But we should, as with many things, give thanks for her efforts in creating, I think, a wonderful national holiday that symbolizes so much and that has meant so much for so many Americans over the generations, uh, you know, at a time, especially bring it to essentially the national prominence at a time of civil war when it was very meaningful 
Uh, she's absolutely, I think, a great American hero. It's it's very telling, I think, you know, especially when it comes to the preservation of our history and furthering what we are as a country, the role that many women have played. Sarah Hale is one among many. If you talk about the museums, the statues, all the traditions around this country were mostly created in this country by various women's civic groups. And Sarah Hale was very active in these. And so we really have them to thank for their civic participation. You know, this is something that, of course, Alexis de Tocqueville, that the the famed Observer America knew there was something very special about the American people and their character. Uh, it's the civic action by by concerned citizens like Sarah Hale that brought us these traditions and I think wove that fabric of what this country was and is. What did Thanksgiving mean to the country at the time? You mentioned that it was uh, adopted at a very difficult time for the United States. But what do you think uh, the the character of the holiday or, or the perspective on the holiday? And, and Lincoln actually had some thoughts on this. But what did it mean to the country at the moment that it was adopted? I think it, it, it meant a lot to the country uh, when you have a national day of Thanksgiving. You have to understand 1863 was really the heart of, of the American Civil War. There were Americans dying in the tens of thousands, a country that was at that point entirely torn apart. You had literally families that were at war with one another. It says a lot about the character of the nation that at that moment they took a step back to give thanks for what they had as Americans. And it was, I think, a combination of giving thanks for the things that they were given, giving thanks to the fact that they even had a country, a United States of America, something that many take for granted. But looking ahead too, I mean, they they were they were looking ahead to a future America in which you know we could give thanks for the efforts that they they made during that civil war, during that incredibly bloody uh, struggle. Uh, we today should be should be very thankful that there is a, even a country, even the United States of America, after what happened during that civil war that especially when you you take a look at and you look at history uh how many civil wars end up in permanent division and constant bloodshed thereafter that the united states was able to rebuild in in, in a way uh, while they were giving thanks uh and create this country and continue the further this country that we still have today is a monumental achievement it says much about what america was made of i think uh, many other countries and many other peoples have collapsed entirely under those circumstances. It took a long time. It, it took a very long time for us to rebuild, but we certainly did. And I think we, we definitely should be thankful for that uh, and understand that it was a, a many part uh, reconstruction of the country that took a monumental effort. And we should be very thankful. I think there's something very specific about Thanksgiving as a, and this may be reductive um, or oversimplified, but as a glass half full holiday. And that means a, a couple of different things. It means that uh, we we can always have things and you can, this is scriptural, we can always have things to be, and just logical, we can always have things to be thankful for, but we can also always have things to be unhappy with and dissatisfied with. And we can always have grievances and complaints, but to have a day like Thanksgiving means fundamentally that we are choosing we are making the choice to be grateful in the pilgrims uh, when we're thinking about thanksgiving certainly had many things not to be grateful for um, and you write about howard zinn 
And you write about in, in your piece in the Daily Signal, you write about the leftist efforts to recharacterize Thanksgiving as really one way to look at it, a glass half empty day, a day where we instead think about the evils um, and we think about the bad instead of the good. Jared, why, what does the left want us to focus on in the Thanksgiving story? Yeah, I think that as I kind of highlighted before, I think the the very idea of having gratitude for even something that is very much imperfect, which is what America is, what all human beings are, what we will continue to be uh, for all time as as long as we're here on this earth. Uh, I think even this idea of having gratitude for those who came in the past is very problematic for the left. I mean, they see, you know, when they see our past, they see a series of oppressions. They don't see the fact that most of human history is oppression. They see us as uniquely uh, bad and malignant, that the things that happened here were somehow exceptionally terrible. Whereas I think the proper perspective is an understanding that human history is generally quite terrible. There have been incredibly uh, terrible things that we've done to each other since the beginning of time that no people anywhere have escaped this. This is the fallen nature of man that I think that many on the left simply, they reject the notion itself. Uh, they think that if we we do away with these impre- these oppressions of the past, that if we uh, uh, literally, in some cases, erase them, that somehow we can transcend uh, our own existence. We can transcend the oppressions, the, the racism, the, the genocide, all these things, that somehow we can transcend these things. Whereas I think my perspective and I think a tradition, more traditional American perspective uh, is that, yes, you know, there are there are terrible things that happened, not just in our past, but in, in the past. Uh, but we should be very thankful for especially the positive steps to make uh, life a little bit better here on this earth. I mean, certainly you can't say that the United States has not been a tremendous success. It hasn't always been uh, fair or, or just in all circumstances, but it has a, a system that has uh, bent toward justice. And that's the reality of the system that was created uh, by the founding generation that was very much influenced by the colonists who came from before them. It was very much influenced by a longer tradition uh, of Western civilization that planted itself in the new world and that we have an enormous amount to be thankful for today. And I think, you know, maybe even especially in the last few years where we've seen, uh, I think, a lot of reduction, I think, in what Americans expectation for the good life would be to understand, you know, how monumental it is, the, what we've accomplished in this country, the, the incredible prosperity where most of human history was oppression for the average person and hunger and starvation and just a barely eking out existence for yourself, whereas we have in many ways solved these issues because of the system we have, where in, in the United States we have a, a, a system of self-government that has really eluded people throughout history, that we have so many benefits and that we have a system that has allowed us to get rid of the mistakes that we've made in the past too through a system a, a specific process that was laid down before us even when that country had many things that i think today uh we think are terrible things like slavery things like you know people talk about racism or segregation that the american people have a system whereby we can get rid of the things that are truly bad while maintaining the things that are good and i think america's uh, system of government and our, our specific cultural values 
uh, have led us to that point. And that's something to be incredibly thankful for when you look at it in the broader context of history, where that has very much not been the case. Most people uh, simply trade one set of of ruler uh, of overlords and tyrants for another. Americans have been very fortunate uh, that we haven't had to make that choice, that uh, essentially that we have a system uh, that trends towards success and the betterment of people uh, across the spectrum, not just you know the, the people at the very top, but those who are at the very bottom of that system too. And I, I think that's something that's always been a remarkable thing about the United States. It's something that those like Howard's in and on the far left uh, can never appreciate, uh, will always find contempt for, I think ultimately because they have a utopian view of human nature and human beings because they see fundamentally that that system and that culture that this country derives from is inherently the problem uh, rather than a solution to many of the problems, an imperfect one, but certainly a solution. And I think that's really what you have is, is a deep conflict of visions. I think that's why there's such a battle going on today in America over our history, over statues, over you know what we've been. I think it comes from a very, at the the deepest level, a conflict of visions uh, between groups of Americans and, and one that's that's certainly difficult to resolve, especially given the current current climate. There's a lot of squabbling every year about the first Thanksgiving and what the first Thanksgiving actually was and, and how it transpired. Um, Jarrett, what can you tell us about what, what the first Thanksgiving actually looked like and not sort of the left's depiction of what it looked like? <laughs> It was really a shared celebration between the local Wampanoag Indians and the pilgrim settlers who had gone through, especially in that year, this was leading up in 1621, a very difficult year in which many had died. Uh, There had been incredible starvation really all around, even among the, the local Indian tribes. This really was a shared celebration between peoples. In fact, in some ways, the, the, the Native Americans who did arrive were actually in much more of a celebratory mood uh, than the pilgrims were. There were a lot more of them actually at that first Thanksgiving who were very excited to partake in what was for them actually kind of one of their own traditions. Uh, and it's interesting, of course, the narrative surrounding the relations between pilgrims and the local Indian tribes is, again, this kind of generic oppressor versus oppressed. But from the perspective of those who are actually there, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, the pilgrims were just another people among many peoples that were there in the New World. I think there's too much of this idea that, you know, all, all the Native Americans, well, they just that it's the red man versus the white man. And that's a very... I think, stilted view of how things were. The Wampanoag were simply one tribe among many. Uh, There was various other confederacies of Indians, including the Iroquois, that were a a chief competitor to the Wampanoag that they had had a series of violent confrontations with. They were in a very kind of complex political environment. They didn't see the pilgrims as these terrible oppressors, nor did the pilgrims show up and think, well, how can we take advantage of these people? They were those who were simply mutually trying to survive in a complicated political environment and, of course, a very hazardous environment in general. I mean, again, one of the things we often take for granted is the fact that, you know, people in those days, you know, especially as the pilgrims arrived, they were dealing with starvation. They were dealing with entire families being wiped out as they came to a new world that was very much a new experience for them. These were uh, families who were used to living in the cities. Uh, in in England, they weren't used to surviving in the wilderness. Uh, it's remarkable that they did it all, especially given the deprivations that they have had 
and the fact that they at the end of this that they stop for a moment and give thanks which of course the pilgrims were very would very commonly do you know says much about them uh what they did in this this period of great duress to have this day that they set aside to give thanks for what they had and the thanks for the fact that they were still uh, alive and still uh there as as a people and as a community which is incredible um and i think that the thanksgiving tradition which of course the pilgrims are very much a part of in this country uh, is incredibly important. It's, it's important to remember how our origins as a country, even though this was hundreds of years before the United States, as we know it existed, you can see the seeds of our own origins as a people. Of course, the very famous Mayflower compact that was set up as the, uh, the, the pilgrims and they're also they had also associates who were uh kind of there to bring them over to the new world kind of created this compact this very typical of many compacts that were created uh in towns in england but showed essentially a society that was going to be based on on consent on the fact that they would make decisions as a community that this wasn't just going to be another petty dictatorship and i think bringing that tradition to the new world help establish early on that this was going to be a people who looked at self-government first and foremost. And I think setting these traditions, even though they are deep in our past, uh, I, I think really shows kind of the arc of where American civilization and what it became later. And I think it's very much important for us to pay tribute to that and understand that, you know, these from these, you know, the small ships that came over with these families, you know, a great country came out of that uh, centuries later. And I think looking back to that and acknowledging it and celebrating that, I think is an incredibly important thing for the American people that we came from these people who very boldly came to the new world uh, seeking a freedom for themselves religiously and seeking a new life for themselves, as many other Americans have since then. And I think that's an incredibly important thing to celebrate here in 2021. You mentioned um, earlier the MSNBC segment, which was on Stephanie Cross's show and featured a Native American uh, activist who was saying basically that uh, genocide and I forget exactly how he phrased it. I know he did say genocide. Is, it was on the table at the first Thanksgiving or on the menu and, and still is today. And it reminds me of something you also brought to my attention, which was the Thomas Jefferson statue being removed from City Hall um, after nearly 200 years of being there in uh, New York. Now, there's a serious question of how we approach our past and our history, and you've literally written the book on this, Jared. Um, but it gets to the headline of your Daily Signal piece, which is America's future depends on Thanksgiving. And it does because it depends on our ability to see this country as fundamentally good and not fundamentally irredeemable. As you're reflecting on Thanksgiving and all the arguments you laid out in the piece and the recent removal of a founding father's statue, what what is it about our future? Why is it that our future depends on these icons and on these institutions of our our national uh, our national sort of self understanding? Yeah, I think when you look at it, especially in a broader context, I mean, you're we're we're looking at especially in just a few short years, a discussion that in 2017 was about Confederate statues suddenly became Thomas Jefferson as well, which uh, Jefferson as well, which I think is funny given how that idea that Jefferson would, would come under attack was mocked by 
many professional historians and many in the media, now they're openly celebrating this just a few years later, shows how fast I think this revolution, this kind of cultural revolution is going and how few, especially on the left, have been willing to put a foot down and say anything in defense of these figures of our past who are so critical not just should not just be for conservatives should be for people across the political spectrum there was a time not too long ago where thomas jefferson was very much celebrated by the american left to see him now scorned in the way he is uh says a lot more about in my opinion of the modern left than thomas jefferson you know the fact that thomas jefferson was imperfect or he lived in a time in which you could say you know the criticism of him of being a hypocrite when it came to the institution of slavery which he partook in, you know, we don't have slavery today because of people like Thomas Jefferson. You know, slavery as an institution has faded away because of what Thomas Jefferson wrote and what he did uh, in life that allowed that institution to go away. I find it very interesting that people, especially when you see the New York City Council removing uh, a statue of Thomas Jefferson, you think about the things, you know, what, what have they done uh, to remove this the statue of this great man who has meant so much for so many Americans and generations, uh, his words and his deeds uh, created this this land of liberty that has been. I mean, the, the, one of the men who actually commissioned that statue, Uriah Levy, Levy, who was Jewish, wanted it to be a symbol of religious liberty because he is a Jew through much of the world. Uh, would have had no liberty whatsoever, would have been treated, as many Jews have through time, uh, as an outsider, not part of society. Uh, here in the United States, because of men like Thomas Jefferson, the, the creation of uh, the really support of religious liberty in this country, uh, he could live as a free man in America. He was a, a, a Navy officer and, and was a very prominent citizen in this country. I think at one time, Americans of different backgrounds could give thanks to those who came before us. Uriah Levy was not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. He was a Jewish man who was giving thanks uh, to, to Thomas Jefferson, thanking and being grateful for the fact that he had a country that he could live in, in which he would be the same as any other citizen, that he could rise in America like he could nowhere else in the world. That's always been the story of what America is. I, there's generations of Americans of all backgrounds, again, none of whom, many of whom are no way actually related to the founding fathers, nevertheless gave tribute and understanding. You know, the things that we've created here in the new world, in the United States, whether we be whatever the race we are, whatever the background or whatever religion we are, you know, it came down to us from these previous generations who made that even possible. And I think when you have a country that now, especially a message from the left, that you can no longer celebrate those things. You can no longer say that, hey, I as a Republican or a Democrat or black or white can actually come together and celebrate our shared heritage, even as we disagree on politics or whatever the policies are is a dangerous moment, especially in a country that is so diverse. We are ethnically, racially, religiously diverse country. If you say essentially nothing binds us together, that we should variously have grievances against one another, I don't think that country is going to last very long. It's not going to remain as a single sustained unit. We'll be at war with each other uh, very soon. I think that's the real danger we have here is that this is creating the elements that certainly led up to our own first civil war and may lead to a division in this country that may never heal, and which is why 
this moment worries me so much and the total collapse on one side of any defense, even the smallest one of the men of our past that are so essential to what we are as a, as a nation. Back in the early 2000s, Blackberries revolutionized how we communicated, but it was not long before Steve Jobs and Apple thought they could outperform them with a phone of their own. In an all-new season of Business Wars, you'll hear about how Blackberries and iPhones battled for their shares of the emerging mobile phone market. It seems standard now, but BlackBerry's ability to allow users to text and send emails was a major game-changer at the time. They were the first mobile devices that could sync work emails to a phone, so for the first time, people weren't chained to their desks. Now, as the gold standard, every power player from D.C. to New York City to Los Angeles had a BlackBerry. But just when they thought they had the market cornered, in 2007, Apple launched the iPhone. On Business Wars, iPhone versus BlackBerry, you'll hear how BlackBerry, the phone favored by presidents, Wall Street, and top government officials, spurred Apple to push the envelope by developing technology that would usher in the future of phones, putting the power of smartphones in the pockets of billions worldwide. Now, I still have a vintage BlackBerry that I like to you know, hold in my hand sometimes just for old time's sake. But this story, the story that Business Wars iPhone versus BlackBerry is telling is one that we can't lose to history because there's so much important trends and important information embedded in that battle. So listen to Business Wars iPhone versus BlackBerry podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. And Jarrett, I want to ask if you were confronted with um, a, a young leftist and maybe a young leftist who's a member of a, my, a racial minority in this country who is is asking in good faith why they should respect uh, a man like Thomas Jefferson who, who kept people who looked like them in slavery and it chains or why they should celebrate a holiday uh, that honors people who who did partake in, uh, you know, violence against Native Americans or um, did have a very, let's say, uh, incorrect and, and morally um, morally repugnant beliefs of about people of, of different uh, racial categories or sexes or whatever it is, what would your response be? What is your pitch to to that young American who I think of whom I think there are, are literally millions at this point because all of our institutions have, have given them that messaging for years and years and years. What would you say to that person if you were face to face in conversation with them? I think I'd point especially to the life in particular of Frederick Douglass very obviously prominent American, an escaped slave, a man who I think in many ways had more reason than almost anybody to have real contempt for the United States, given his background as a black enslaved man in this country, wrote a very prominent speech, what is Fourth of July to the slave? And he wrote this at a time in which I think he was most pessimistic and in his in his speech, what is Fourth July to the slave? He didn't say, you know, curse that the founding generation for what they are and all they stood for. He did not sound like a modern Nicole Hannah Jones, the 1619 Project. <laughs> he said that essentially what those those men created was something truly great and special. That was something that early in our history was denied for people 
with with the color of skin like himself for 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 many black americans there was no liberty they were living in the greatest land of liberty as slaves and that was a terrible thing he used the words of jefferson and the founding generation against the americans who stood against granting liberty to people like frederick douglas but douglas understood i think fundamentally and especially as he grew older that ultimately what the founding generation did and the, the Americans who came before was creating something very good, was creating the seeds of liberty for men and women like himself, that the seeds of that, uh, that liberty were there from the very beginning. So that even in a, in a country, which at one time had bound people like himself, America was this deep land of hope that if simply we adhered to the, the true mission of what this country was from its founding, then that blessing of liberty would come to men like Frederick Douglass and for the generations that came after him. It was an appeal to uh, that founding, essentially, that while he condemned the, the actual thing itself, which was slavery and this institution that was quite terrible, that essentially what the founders created, these many of whom were th those who owned slaves and, and supported the, or at least had slaves themselves, even if they condemned the institution of slavery, he understood the fact that while those flaws existed in the United States, that they were ones that could be corrected by the very, the very notions that created the, the country to begin with. And so I, I don't think it's, it's to say that we have to sit there and say everything that Thomas Jefferson would, said was correct or that everything these men and women did in life was good and excellent. We should just always celebrate that. Uh, to me, what's remarkable is that in this state of imperfection, which all human beings are, these very flawed men, that something very good came out of that and that we have made uh, incredible progress in many cases uh, when it comes to the issues uh, of race. And certainly in the institution of slavery, which collapsed uh, during that great civil war based on the ideas set forth by Thomas Jefferson, of course, carried out in its final sta stages by Abraham Lincoln, both men who now have come under uh, scorn for many of the cancelers. Uh, I think that to, to step back and say, yes, I disagree with many of the things that happened in this country's history. You don't have to celebrate all the bad things, yet still take a step back and say, but at the same time, I'm grateful that these ideas existed. They came from flawed men, and we should continue to celebrate that. You know, Frederick Douglass isn't simply a black American hero in the way that George Washington is not a white American hero. These are these are all American heroes. And to celebrate those men, and what they did, the good things that they brought us, despite the flaws of all these people, uh, is something that I think can be shared among all races of Americans and, and to bring, make this a more perfect union in the future. And I think that's an incredibly important message, no matter what racial background you are, no matter who you are in this country. I think it's an incredibly important thing uh, for now in the future. Jared Stutman, columnist at The Daily Signal, the author of the great book, The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Emily. And Jared, we hope you and Inez have a very happy Thanksgiving this year. Well, thank you very much. And happy Thanksgiving to all your listeners. And I hope they all celebrate as so many great American generations have in the past uh, with delicious food and giving thanks even in these hard times that we've had in the last few years. 
Amen to that. And I will echo Jarrett's sentiment and wish all of you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. We're so thankful for, to you for listening today and always. Now, you have, of course, been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. <laughs>